Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Here we go, family. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted this time that we have to come together and minister in your presence. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody here and under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, the Peace Within and the subseries, The Door, we will conclude them both today. Let me show you first, we're going to do the Bible Confession, but... Uh, the first image that I'm going to show you is going to be one that you've seen before, the first couple, and then we're going to launch out from there. But let's, that's the first image that you're going to see, just to get you oriented. Let's do our Bible confession, though. Don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Ready? Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this first image, the one that you've seen before, by the way, my mom called me when I was en route this morning and told me to tell all y'all that she missed you and that she's looking forward to seeing you soon. Now, what she, what she technically wrote up in there was, she'll see you soon as soon as I come get her. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that was smooth, mama, how you put that in there? So she put the responsibility on me for y'all to see her soon. And you gotta go get my mama. And I'll tell you something else, too, that just dropped in my mind. A quick Smith story. And just to give you guys a little insight into the personality of Pastor Greta. Now, we recently, re recently we, we, we went away, and when we went away, we went out for dinner. And when we went out for dinner, you know, when we, when we go away, you, I, I'm, a, I'm a smoothie guy. I'm a, I eat fish. I eat the chicken. Not a lot of fried foods. I'm really careful about the temple. But when you go away, sometimes you kind of open it up a little bit to, to other stuff. So we went to an Italian restaurant, and they had this pasta dish that was seasonal. And I'm like, oh, and it had like three kind of cheeses in it. It had like a, some kind of vodka sauce in it. It was, and it came in a big, like a, a ceramic bowl. And what do they do when you go to these places? They bring it to the table and they say, what, it's hot. Because they, they have these big ovens that they put everything in and melt the cheese and everything. So the person comes and he, he says, okay, and this is hot. Hot means hot, people. <laughs> but what do we do? We figure we can blow it. We figure we can just go ahead and eat faster. But, so 
I, I went ahead and I started digging into my, into my food. The next day, I'm brushing my teeth and it's tender up behind on the upside of my mouth. I'm like, ow. And Greta's like, what's wrong? I was like, I think I burnt my mouth yesterday. She says to me, You got to be careful. My kiss is so hot, they done burnt your mouth out. <laughs> she said, you got to be careful with this, boy. I'm like, be quiet. Kiss is so hot, done burnt my mouth out. Oh, my God. She didn't have to say that. All right, family. <laughs> We've gone through three main messages. Starting from the center, the key message is that Jesus is the door. He said it in John 10. He also said in John 14 that he's the only pathway to God. So that kind of solidifies that thing. If anybody had any question, he's the door. In addition to Jesus being the door to God, he gave us a commission that we are to help usher people to the door so they can get to God, that makes us the door to the door. Our door technically is with us all the time, but it functions best when it's in the place God wants the door to be. And God can send your door, and my door, of course, but your door, to one of two generic places, a familiar place and an unfamiliar place. Our past few sessions have been focused on the door himself, Jesus. And Jesus had several events in his life that he successfully overcame that helped him earn the label, the door. Look at this image, also one you've seen before. In our most recent conversation, what we've done is we kind of mapped out some of Jesus's events. It's not everything, but it's some. Religiously, people zero in on the cross as the thing that justified Jesus as being the door. But it wasn't just the cross alone. Everything that he did successfully qualified him to be the door. Just because he's the son of God, that didn't qualify him to be the door. It gave him the opportunity to qualify. But if at any time when he was tempted, when the devil came at him, when somebody rattled his chain, if he decided he wanted to buff up, or, or you got, what do you call it? buck up or nut up or whatever you want to call it, if he ever decided he wanted to pop off at the mouth or do something odd to somebody, that would disqualify him from being the savior you needed him to be. It's not just the cross. It's everything that he endured successfully. Getting through the Garden of Gethsemane successfully, all of that qualified him to be the door, not just the cross, although the cross is a very important part. 
He got to be the door by staying in God's will and not sinning. Hebrews tells us that. Notice. Hebrews 4, easy to read, verses 14 through 15. We have a great high priest who has gone to live with God in heaven. He is Jesus, the Son of God, so let us continue to express our faith in him. Jesus, our high priest, is able to understand our weaknesses. When Jesus lived on earth, he was tempted in every way. He was tempted in the same ways we are tempted, but he never sinned. He never sinned. If he had, he could not have been the door. And it's from this point that we launch out today. Jesus overcame every temptation, the constant verbal assaults, the social criticism, the religious trickery, and let's not forget the cross. He overcame that because he had an internal driver. And the Bible doesn't leave that driver to question. It tells us exactly what that driver was. Here is his driver. Hebrews chapter 12, King James Version, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured it all for the joy. I know this particular scripture zeroes in or lasers in on the cross, but we've already gone through the conversation point that he endured really it all. And he did it for the joy. Understanding that the cross by far was the worst ordeal. If anything had the capability of breaking him down, the cross was that ordeal. It was torturous enough, painful enough, downright scary enough, mm -hmm. unpleasant enough that would cause, that's the thing, if anything, that would have caused him to say, I'm done with y'all. Especially when you consider the fact that he had the ability the whole time to deliver himself. Reflect back on the Garden of Gethsemane with me. We've already gone through where Jesus prayed three times. But there is a portion that happens after that where Judas and the mob comes to apprehend Jesus. And when they come to do that, a gentleman that's with Jesus draws out his sword to defend Christ. Jesus stops the defense, and he speaks these words. Notice. Matthew chapter 26, 
verses 52 through 53 in the message and verse 53 in the Amplified Classic. The Message Bible, Jesus said, put your sword back where it belongs. All who use swords are destroyed by swords. Don't you realize that I am able right now to call my father and 12 companies, more if I want them, of fighting angels would be here battle ready? Amplify Classic. Do you suppose that I cannot appeal to my father and he will immediately provide me with more than 12 legions, more than 80,000 of angels? He could have delivered himself. With just one call, angels would have been there, not just showing up to dance, but battle ready. And immediately, they would be provided. Instead of delivering himself, though, Jesus elected to stay for the joy. And loved ones, that joy has got a name. And that name is you. Jesus elected to go through every temptation for the joy called you. He withstood the spitting and the hitting and the assaults and the whipping for the joy called you. He went to the cross. He bled and he hung and he died for the joy called you. And of course, me. The joy that he had locked in his heart and locked in his mind, that joy had a name. <clears throat> Were the things that he went through, were they pleasant? Were they convenient? Were they desired? Heaven to the no. They were not. None of it was pleasant. None of it was convenient. None of it was desired. Yet Jesus drew so much joy from just the mere thought that you and I would have the opportunity or the chance to get it right by God, to be right with God, he drew so much joy from that, that that joy gave him peace within to endure every challenge that came his way to be the door. He did it for the joy. He endured for the joy. Everything he went through, the experiences built his door. And as with Jesus, the door, so is the door to the door, you and I. I want you to read something with me. Here we go. Because we all are doors built by experience. I want us to read these three sentences together. Ready? Go. As with Jesus, so are our doors. The outcome of all our life experiences make us the doors we are. 
In short, we too are built by experience. Family, your door is built by experience. Just like Jesus, the door went through different experiences and that experience set allowed him to become the door, the same with you and I. I am preparing to show you two graphical representations of biblical events. And the biblical events involve two specific biblical characters. When you actually see these graphical representations, it won't be foreign to you because they will have the same pattern of the Jesus overview, meaning it's going to show life's ups and downs leading to a particular point. All of us realize that life has its ups and downs. Life has its moments where things just become unpleasant. But those unpleasant experiences, loved ones, them, their things is prime door building material. The unpleasantries, the things that make you cry, the things that make you weep, the things that make you pray, the things that make you call out to God, all those things they are prime door-building material. Your first image is about Moses. Here we go. The life of Moses. This is, of course, not the total life of Moses. We're just talking through Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 4. In lieu of reading it, I figure I would just narrate it to you. But you have the chapters there, and what am I going to ask you to do? Go back and do what? Read it first yourself. Here we go. Because after we're done with the discussion of these two representations, that is going to set the backdrop upon which we're going to reflect our own life. Here are some key aspects of Moses' life in Exodus chapter 4 through Exodus, Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus chapter 4. Of course, he was born, no surprise there. But after he was born, Pharaoh had this infant plan that if the midwives saw the birth of any Hebrew male, they were to kill the male. So immediately his life took a little downturn. His mother, being resourceful, ups to all the ladies and the moms, you're very resourceful, created a makeshift raft, a floating crib, a floating bassinet, and kind of set him free, so to speak, on the river where he floated and ultimately came in the presence of Pharaoh's daughter. She adopted him. Being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, not so bad, a little uptick in life there. When Moses was an adult, though, he got in an altercation with an Egyptian and killed him. 
he killed a man. To avoid persecution that he knew or, or had a good feeling would come, Moses fled to Midian. And I believe he was there like 40 years. I didn't go back and double check that, but he was there a long time. He fled to Midian, and at some point during his Midian days, he has the burning bush experience where God calls his door in the service. That's Moses. Here comes Joseph. Once again, this is not all of Joseph's life, but this is Genesis chapter 37 through 41. Joseph steps on the scene for us in Genesis 37. He was born earlier, but he steps on the scene for us where, you know, he had a dream. He told his family that dream, and here comes the downturn. They despised him for the dream. Most of his brothers wanted to kill him. I think there were one or two that, that said, let's not kill the boy. But they wanted to kill him. Instead of killing him, though, they sold him into slavery. He ultimately was sold as a slave to the Egyptian governor, Potiphar. Now, that happened to be a little uptick in his life because he did well at Potiphar's house. Potiphar's like, you're a good dude. I'm going to put you in charge of most stuff. He was doing well until, until Potiphar's wife, who had her eye on Joseph, and she was like, oh, Joseph, you so fine. You so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Joseph. Hey, Joseph. Uh, you know what I mean? She was like, Joey, boy, you hot. We can do some things. She wanted to get with him. But Joseph said, no. I can't do that. We can't hook up. Your husband has been so good to me. He's put me in charge of everything. He's withheld nothing from me but you. How would I even do that to him? Plus, more importantly, how could I do that against God? Broke her little ego. Hurt her feelings. Thought she was all that. Thought she had him hooked up. He was like, no, girl, you ain't all that. You don't compare. What they say, you're cute, but not cute enough for my... That's what Kent and Joe said, you ain't cute enough for my salvation. You cannot have me. She got pissed off. She told her husband and started lying and everything. And husband put my man in prison. While he was in prison, he interpreted two dreams. A dream for the wine server and a dream for the baker. And both of those dreams came true. He told the wine server, you're going to get released. He told the baker, your head going to get taken off. And it all happened like he said. A very important thing here is when he gave the wine server the interpretation of his dream, he said, okay, listen. Here is your interpretation, but I want you to do something for me. 
I want you to remember me when you get out of here. Don't forget, tell Pharaoh, help me out because I'm not in here for the right reason. The wine server got out, though, but he didn't remember. He ain't even, he ain't even, he just forgot the Bible say he just forgot. Some two years later, Pharaoh having a dream. Can't nobody figure it out. Wine server, they this man in the um, prison, Joseph, you know, you need to reach out to him. They get my man out of prison. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh is so impressed that he makes Joseph governor over the whole nation. At that moment, all of a sudden, Joseph's door is right where God wants his door to be. Said differently, God has now called his door in the service. Quick overview there. Now let's take these overviews and overlay our own lives. It may be accurate to some and not others, but whatever applies to you or whatever you can conceive in your mind even better because you never know when something's going to happen in life. Let's run with this. We're going to start with Moses. Here we go. Instead of the life of Moses, though, we're talking about the life of you. And, and, and of me. Never think I'm not talking about me, but the life of you. Everybody were born. But have you ever had a situation where a stranger sought to harm you? They didn't know your name. They didn't care. They didn't know the potential you had. They didn't care. They didn't care about who would miss you and your family. They didn't care. All they knew is they had a plan, and that plan did not include you. As a matter of fact, the plan was such that it sought to harm you. When that plan went down, it hurt. It damaged you. It dinged you bad. It left you floating in life looking for a solution for your pain. Looking for some kind of relief because you have been attacked by someone who don't even know, who don't really know who you are. For some people, they live life under the mental cloak of being adopted. In many cases, the adoption actually is an uptick in their life. If they could really know all the history that went into it, if they really knew the history and somebody else, a third party, could help them sift it, the adoption more than likely was probably a better thing for them than to stay where they were. But because in their mind they think they are adopted, 
because our parent, my parent didn't want me. My parents thought I was unlovable. However that idea got there, they live under the cloak of a thought that they were devalued. That's why they were put up for adoption. And that thought, it, that thought haunts them. And that thought depresses their self-worth. It depresses their self-value. Some of them spend a lifetime DNA and 23andMe and Ancestry.com trying to find out who my real mama and daddy are because it's haunting them. Can't even enjoy the life that God has blessed you with no matter how good it is because you have something stuck inside of you that's saying because you're adopted, somebody has deemed you unlovable. And it's in there, and because it's in you, you can't shake it. Some people have done the unthinkable. They have committed some act that is so unthinkable that they are in the process or are living their life such that they're just running away and hiding from their past. They can't possibly believe anybody would actually care for them after what they did. In their own eyes, they can hardly, they can hardly stand themselves because of the thought of what they did. But family, if you put all that in God's hands, all your past life experiences, the things that hurt you and the things that made you cry, God can use it all as building materials and build a door in you that he can call into service. Joseph. Instead of the life of Joseph, Let's talk about the life of you. You may have had a dream, an idea, a thought, a vision. You were so excited about that thing that you couldn't wait to tell your family. You couldn't wait till you saw your mama and your daddy next. You couldn't wait till you got around your cousin and them. That thing was so rich inside of you that you couldn't even fathom anything in life better. And when you let it out your mouth, they despised you for it. They didn't just despise you for it, for it. They took actions to keep you from getting there. They took actions to keep the vision from coming to pass. The very ones that should have loved you most hated you more. And that thing hurt. Essentially, they sold you into slavery. What do I mean by sold you into slavery? Well, as believers, we would say it this way. Because they rejected you, they pushed you into the arms of the world.
They sold you to Satan. They sold you into slavery. Because you're resourceful, though, because you got a little fight in you, you managed to get yourself pretty well. You still got the scars. You still got the hurt. You don't want to talk to them too much. But you managed to get an uptick in life until somebody mistreated you for being righteous. All you wanted to do was be the person God wanted you to be, what you had learned God wanted you to be, and because you wanted to be that person, they mistreated you all the more. I'm going to tell you something that a young adult told me in recent years, and that thing hurt me to my core. They were talking about their own life. And with tears in their eyes, they looked in my eyes and said this. What good is it in being right and doing the right thing if people are just going to do you wrong anyway? It can hurt being mistreated for only wanting to be right. But if you put that hurt in God's hands, he can use it as building material. Some of you have been in prison. Prison, prison. And being in prison when you went to prison, you had a host of people that said they wouldn't forget you. You had a lot of people that said, oh, we'll come visit. We'll make sure we call. We'll make sure you send letters. Everybody was attesting to how much they're going to remember you. But what those false attestees don't realize is that when you're in prison and the people who said they would remember you don't do what they say, your mind starts to play tricks on you. When they don't come to visit, when they don't send a care package, when they don't send a letter, when they don't send funds, when they actually treat you as if you don't exist anymore. You begin to think in your heart that you're forgotten. Not only that, that nobody else cares. Prison, though, is not just a physical place. When we talk about prison, we talk about being incarcerated. A lot of times people be like, oh, I'm good. They've been locked up. Whew. That's not about me. Da, 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 da. Not all prisons have physical walls. Say this with me. Not all prisons, not all prisons have, physical walls, have physical walls, 
but all prisons, but all prisons imprison, you. imprison you. You can be in a mental prison. You can be in an emotional prison. You can be in a spiritual prison. What he said, what she said, or what they said, that thing can imprison you. What he did, or what she did, or what they did, that thing can imprison you. It can. Oh, what they did to you? That thing, it took your hope. It took your dignity. It took so many things from you. In some cases, it took your confidence. In some cases, it took your innocence. Everything that you've been through, though, God can use it all as building material. If you give it to God, he takes that set of experiences and he begins to embed those experiences into the fibers of your door. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, what started off as just you, it begins to become the door that God can use and call into his service. And although you've been through trials and tribulations, notice this image. And although those trials and tribulations, if we were to closely examine your door, make your door grainy and textured and weathered and pitted and scraped, all of that experience pressure causes your door to become something. What does it become? Family, here we go. After all of your experiences, your door becomes more understanding. It becomes empathetic. Your door becomes wiser. Your door becomes determined. It becomes compassionate. It becomes resilient. It becomes strong. It becomes hard to break. Everything that you go through causes your door to be built by experience. Each and every one of you are experience-built doors. All the weathering, all the pitting, 
gives your door character. You know, this is probably not a humorous moment, but I tell you this. As believers, we look at weathering in our lives, if we consider ourselves a door, as not a good thing. Do you know all of these HGTV shows my wife got me watching? Let's just, let's, just, let's just break the air a little bit. All, all, uh, I just thought about this. I've seen so many episodes where people go out and spend more money on the things that are weathered and look dated and ancient and used than new stuff. Same with your door, though, because they say it has more value because it has character. It has more value because it has a uniqueness to it. Your experiences give your door character. Your experiences give your door that certain uniqueness. More importantly, your experiences give your door a voice. You know, when Jesus went through the cross, as we say, and he resurrected, there are many accounts in the Bible where he, after resurrection, visited people. The book of John, though, helps us see where Jesus came specifically to see a disciple named Thomas. Many people call him Doubting Thomas. But that label aside, for now, we quickly explore that moment because in that moment, we extract another good piece of wisdom as it relates to our doors. Here we go. Now, my man Thomas wasn't there when Jesus came the first time. And they were like, yo, Tom, we saw Jesus. And Tom was like, I ain't going to believe it until I put my fingers in the holes of his hand and put my fingers in the hole of his side, y'all could be telling me anything. I wasn't there. I don't believe you. I got to see it for myself. Jesus must have heard him in the spirit. Because the next time they were together, Jesus comes in and goes straight to Thomas. This is the Passion Translation, John 20, verse 27. Then, looking into Thomas's eyes, he said, or Jesus said, put your finger here in the wounds of my hands. Here. Put your hand into, the wounded, into my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. 
I find this interesting because Jesus is here post-resurrection, new resurrected body, but he elects to keep the holes in his hand. A new resurrected body, and he elects to keep the hole in his side. Why does he do that? He does that because the holes in his door give his door a voice. The holes in his door shed light on a testimony that look at what God has done for me. It's not just about giving his door character. It's about giving his door a voice that is convincing enough to cause people to listen. He kept the holes and the evidence of his experience to give his door a voice. Many of us as believers, we spend a lot of time talking to people about God and how God can deliver while all the time we're talking to them, we're doing the best we can to hide the holes in our door. But hiding those holes in the door, that's the worst thing you can do because somebody needs to see the holes in your door. Show somebody the holes in the door. Let them know about the holes in your door. Notice. Somebody needs to know that you are delivered of God, but no, you're not perfect. They need to know that you've been hurt, that you've been abused, that you've been raped. They need to know that you're standing here delivered not because your life has always been perfect, but that God is a perfect deliverer. And when you hide the holes in your door, you become less of a witness. You convince yourself that you should be clean when you talk to someone. Your heart should be clean. Your spirit should be clean. But let your door stay dirty. Let the experience that built your door show. Let them know that you've been talked about. Let them know that you've been lied on, but that God got you through it. And that very testimony with your, with your scars and your scrapes exposed attracts them enough to walk through the door to the door to get to the door to get to God. Show somebody that you cheated before. Show somebody that you, tell them that, yeah, I've stolen before. I've been imprisoned before. Look at my scars. Put your, put your finger into the holes in my hands. Put your finger into the holes on my side. I've been in prison physically. I've been in prison spiritually. I've been in prison emotionally. I've been in prison mentally. But God got me through it all. And the same God that got me through can bring you through. I just need to get you to the door to get to God. 
But you do that by not hiding the holes in your door, but letting them show. I've been lonely. I've been heartbroken. I've cried until I can't cry no more. But God brought me through. I'm not going to hide my addiction. I've been addicted to drugs, but God. Addicted to alcohol, but God. Addicted to pornography, but God. Addicted to pride, but God. Addicted to fame, but God. Addicted to pursuit of money, but God. Addicted to anything the devil brought my way, I tried it, but God. My door has been built by experience, and I'm going to put my experience on display to make my door more real for you. Family, the holes in your door give your door not just character, but they give your door a voice. Every scrape, every stain, every dent, every hole, every pit, it all creates a door that's more real. It makes you and I doors built by experience. Show your door. It makes you the door God needs to reach the people God wants you to reach. God sends you to that unfamiliar place. You get there and you hide the very evidence that's going to reach the people he sent you there to reach. God sends you to a familiar place and you do your best to make over all the evidence that will make you the door that can reach the people in that familiar place. Stop hiding the holes in your door. You're not perfect. Let them know it. You've been abused. Let them know it. You've been hurt. Let them know it. You've been raped. Let them know it. You've been addicted. Let them know it. You've been talked about. Let them know it. You've been lied on. Let them know it. You've been in prison. Let them know it. You've cheated before. Let them know it. You've been stolen. You stolen so much. You stolen so much stuff. You. There, there was a time in your life. I, I, I can. Let's not say it's you. Let's say it's relatives. Was it you? Wait for the example first, baby. I've, let's put, I've known people who have, we're talking about stealing, but who have just done wrong stuff for so long they don't even see it as wrong. It's just the way of life. 
if you let them know, as a married man, I was doing what society wanted me to do for so long that I became oblivious that I was doing wrong by my wife. Let them know, as a married woman, I had fell in line with social norms for so long that I was oblivious to how I was doing wrong by my husband. I had been parenting by book A and book C and advice from cousin whatever and how my mom and them did it. I had been doing it for so long that I had no idea that I was parenting wrong by my child. And just to use the word that we have here, I stole so much stuff that I ain't even, stealing was just like breathing to me. But God. But God. When you let the experience that built your door show. You as the door to the door becomes a, become a door that God can use to reach the people he needs to reach. You become the exact door that God needs. And why should you be so transparent? Why should you let the damage to your door show? Why do that? You do it all for the joy. You do it all for the joy. Back to Hebrews. When I say you do it all for the joy, we've already read Hebrews in the King James Version, chapter 12, verse 2. Now let's read Hebrews 12, 2 through 3 in the King James and the message. Here comes the King James. You've already seen this. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, there you go, that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame the shame of the cross, but we, we, we say he endured it all, but specifically the cross, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. But talking about the joy set before you, let's look at the Message Bible. It reads, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor alongside God. 
when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Whenever you're wondering why you should allow your door to show the experiences that built it, you should never lose sight of why you're doing it. Never lose sight of where you're headed. You're headed to a position where God's going to use your door to usher people into the kingdom. And if you remember that, you can doggone it put up with daggum near anything. Anything. Those first two dark shaded areas, all the way to the word way, Let's read just those together as if they were one sentence. Ready? Let's go. He never lost sight of where he was headed. He could put up with anything along the way. He could put up with anything along the way because he never forgot where he was headed. Amen. He kept in his mind the joy, the finish line, the target for your mission, for your call. As long as you put the goal deep into your spirit, deep into your heart, and you never forget where you're headed, it will give you the strength and endurance to put up with just about anything. We've said continually, though, that God is not just concerned about the mission. He's also concerned about you. So let's inject you as an individual specifically, beyond the call per se. If you keep sight on the kind of marriage God promised you, it will cause you to be able to put up with just about anything. Come on now. Because you believe in what God said. Amen. And for the joy of how that marriage is supposed to be that is set before you, you will endure. You have a vision of how your family is supposed to be, how your children is supposed to be, how your business is supposed to be, how your relationship with your parents is supposed to be. You have a vision of that, and as long as you never lose sight of where you're headed, if you never lose sight of the joy set before you, it will give you the ability to put up with doggone near anything along the way. There is a joy set before you about how your finances are supposed to be. If you keep that joy before you, it'll cause you to be able to put up with almost anything and finances in particular because if you keep the joy set before you when you got that urge to splurge that urge to misspend that urge to do things that 
is not going to get you to where you want to be. If you keep that goal, that joy in front of you, you will be able to defend off better what your fingers are telling you to grab and put in the buggy and do the self-checkout on. And whenever you find yourself flagging, falling short, when you see yourself getting weak about how your marriage is supposed to be, when you see yourself getting weak about how your parenting is supposed to be, when you see yourself getting weak about how your finances are supposed to be, hey, back to the call. When you see yourself getting weak about the mission God called you on, when you see yourself getting weak about the give up and throwing the towel about the assignment God has given you, open your Bible. And look back over the timeline of the life of Jesus. I like that he says, keeping in mind that it's talking about the cross, but I like how it says, go over that story again. Go through it all. That's what I'm asking you to do. Not just the cross. Go through everything he endured. And when you go over that again, that jolt to your memory will shoot adrenaline back into your efforts to keep pursuing what God wants you to pursue because of the joy that is set before you. So why should I, pastor, show the scrapes and the dents and the holes and the pits of my door? You do it all for the joy. You do it for the joy of seeing come to pass what God has shown you will come to pass. You do it for the joy of the person or the persons who are lost and your door will have the capability because of its character and its voice to usher them to the door to get to God. You do it all for the joy. And it's all because <laughs> you and I, being that door to the door, allow God to take our experiences and build that door. It's an impressive thing to be built by experience. If you put it in God's hands, it's prime building material. Say this with me. God, I thank you, God, thank you. that my experiences May not, have always may not have always been pleasant. Been pleasant. But if I put those experiences, put those experiences in, your hands, in your hands, you can build in me, build in me a, door a door that has character, that has character and, a and a voice. And that door, and that door will, be the very thing will be the very thing that attracts people, that attracts people to, my door to my door and usher them to their door 
and place them, and place them at, your feet. at your feet. In Jesus' name, In Jesus name. Amen. amen. Family, that's a wrap for us. All about the door. And just like Jesus kept his focus on the joy set before him, and that focus gave him peace within to endure every challenge. When you realize the joy set before you, it'll give you peace within to endure the challenge. It'll give you peace within to endure what people might say when you show your door exposed. It'll give you peace within to go through things that you're going through now that's going to put more dents in your door, more scratches on your door. It's going to make your door more grainy. But because of the joy set before you, you're not going to allow those events to put you in bondage. You're going to flip that thing. You're going to flip it, hand those experiences over to God. And as God delivers you, all of a sudden you got something else unique on your door. And that door is strong, resilient. The very door God needs to reach people. God, I thank you that each and every person here, oh, we've had experiences in our life. Not all of us, though, are comfortable with allowing those experiences to be used by you for the kingdom. But those experiences give us a voice. They stain our door, but they give us a voice. They scar our door, but they give us a voice. Hoo-hoo, but newsflash. A door that's stained and scraped and able to say that I am not telling you what I think. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm not telling you what I assume. I'm telling you that God can deliver, that God can turn your life around, that God can make things better. And I'm telling you that and showing you the evidence because it's written on the surface of my door. It's not an assumption on my part. God, when people reach that point to where they're able to let the experiences on their door testify. Oh my God, what a wonderful place. And God, oh, thank you, Lord. We are not dismissing the pleasantries of life. We've talked a lot about the unpleasant things. But just like the unpleasant things can, te can testify, 
God, the pleasant things that happen in our life testify too. How God prospered us. How, 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 how God kept us when nobody else thought that I could be kept. How God developed in, in, in my circle a happy family. All of those things, God, also make for prime door building material. The caveat, God, is this. Many, if not most of us, are not quick to show the unpleasantries. Or we're quick to show the pleasantries. We're quick to talk about the good stuff. We're quick to testify about the goodness of God in general. But we're not so quick to talk about how we walk through the desert and through the fire and through the mud to get to where we are. With your help, through your grace, and because you care. So we focus, God, on the dents and the pits in particular. Because if nothing else, a person being able to see how God delivered someone who, by many accounts, may have seemed as if they were undeliverable, gives that door power. And I pray that we stop hiding our power. And under your guidance, we begin to show the evidences of our hurts, our bruises, and our pains that help build us into the doors that we are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.